I'm going to put a verse of Scripture up on the screen from Psalm 31. It's Psalm 31 and verse 24. <clears throat> and I want you to read it with me. Let me hear your words, or your voices rather. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord, who hope in the Lord. We're going to talk about hope for the next few weeks. There are a few things in the world that are more powerful than hope. You've probably heard the illustration that a man can live 40 days without food, he can live four days without water, he can live four minutes without air, but he can't really live four seconds without hope. Hope is a necessity of life, and as a result, we are always looking for hope, and we're always looking for symbols of hope, reminders of hope. On April the 19th, 1995, you know this story. A man named Timothy McVeigh parked a rented truck containing a homemade bomb outside of the Alfred P. Murrah building in downtown Oklahoma City. And at 9.02 on that morning, the bomb exploded, killing 168 people and wounding another 850. Oklahoma is the state that I was born and raised in, and when this event happened, I was leading a church in Tulsa, just about 100 miles up the turnpike from Oklahoma City. The blast destroyed or damaged 324 other buildings within a 16-block radius. Until the September 11, 2001 attacks, it was the deadliest terrorist attack in the history of the United States and even today remains the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in our country's history. Once the carnage of the bomb was cleaned up, a beautiful memorial was created in downtown Oklahoma City. As a reminder, if you're ever in the area, you should stop and visit. You won't be disappointed. There are, among other things, at the memorial a big reflecting pool and Probably the most visually moving part of the memorial is a field where there are 168 empty chairs that commemorate the 168 victims. Each chair is crafted from bronze and stone with a glass base, and a name of each of the victims is etched into the glass base of each of the chairs. There's a survivor's wall that's made up of the only wall of the Murrah building that remains standing. And then there is what has come to be known as the survivor's tree. It's one of the most sacred symbols in the state of Oklahoma. That tree was just a few yards away from that bomb when it exploded, and it was completely buried under the rubble of the building. All of its branches were blown off, and there was nothing left but the trunk. No one expected it to survive. In fact, no one even gave any thought to the tree because after they removed pieces of evidence that were embedded in the trunk, the plan was to just cut it down. But there was so much work to be done and so many other things to give attention to that it wasn't done right away. And after a while, someone noticed that the tree began to bud. And when it began to bud, everyone noticed. Today, people drive all over from all over, rather, to see that tree and to pose for pictures underneath the tree because it has become a symbol of hope, a symbol of hope that came from one of the darkest moments in our country's history. Everyone looks for hope. Everyone is in need of hope. No one knows or understands that better than God does. And because of that, the Bible is a book of hope. Because of that, the Bible is a book filled with stories of hope. And that's what we're going to talk about for a few weeks. We'll take a break next weekend for Father's Day. But for four weeks, we're going to spend some time talking about hope. And we're going to begin this weekend with a very simple message called, There's Hope for You When You Need Help. Because all of us find ourselves at different times in our lives when we are in need of help. When we open up our Bibles <clears throat> to 2 Chronicles chapter 14, we meet a man 
named Asa, who found himself one morning in need, in desperate need of hope, and his story is one that I know will bless all of us today. So, if you've got your Bibles open to 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and you're able this morning, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. If you're a guest, we do this every week. We make the public reading of Scripture a significant part of our service, and because we have such love and respect for God's Word, we stand together when we read it. And so, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and I'm going to read down through verse 11. You follow along. And Abijah rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, succeeded him as king, and in his days the country was at peace for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey His laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under Him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with Him during those years, for the Lord gave Him rest. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought Him, and He has given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah, equipped with large shields and with spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and with bows. All these were brave fighting men. And then we get to verse 9. Zerah... The Cushite marched out against them with a vast army. Everybody look up here for a moment. Those words, vast army, or translated vast army in my NIV Bible, come from a word in the original language of the, New, of the Old Testament that is often translated a million men, just to give you an idea of the size of this army. And 300 chariots and came as far as Merashah. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah near Merashah. Verse 11, then Asa called to the Lord his God, in other words, he prayed, and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God's blessing to be upon the reading and the hearing of His Word. When I read these words, I'm reminded of the fragile nature of life. And I say that because they remind me that while life can be good one day, life for all of us can change in an instant. Asa had just concluded an incredibly impressive decade of leadership as the king of Judah. According to verses 1 through 8, he had done what was right in the eyes of God. He had torn down all the tools and all the altars associated with idolatry and paganism. He led his people to seek God and obey the commands of God. He strengthened and fortified the cities of the nation, and he assembled a large and a well-equipped army. He had over 580,000 fighting men. And as a result, he had every reason to believe that life was good, that peace was going to be present, and that it was going to be sustained. He had no reason to believe that anything would change. But all that came to an end in verses 9 and 10 when this man named Zerah leads this massive war machine of a million Cushites and 300 chariots up from Egypt. And they were there for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to conquer and control the land of Judah. And so after years of nothing but prosperity and nothing but peace, Asa found himself where he was in desperate need 
of help. Have you ever been there? You ever found yourself in a similar situation? I'm talking about finding yourself in a time when it seemed like everything was right in your life, everything had fallen in place, everything was working according to plans, and there was nothing but peace, and there was nothing but prosperity, and there was nothing but success. You had no reason to believe that anything would change, but then you wake up one morning and everything has changed. It could be waking up to a spouse who says, I don't love you anymore, and I don't want to be married any longer. Could be waking up to a boss who says you're being downsized or you're being fired or the company is closing or the company is relocating and there's not a place for you. Could be the doctor who says there's a problem with your lab work or I think we're going to need to do a biopsy on that or even worse, the biopsy is positive. Could be waking up one day to a son or a daughter who chooses to walk a path of rebellion that breaks your heart with every step. Could be any number of things. All you know is that you went to one bed, you went to bed one night thinking everything was great only to wake up the next morning to a nightmare. That's basically what happened to Asa. And so after he recovers from the initial shock of this vast army of a million men and these 300 war wagons coming toward him, he gathers his army and he goes out to meet Zerah even though he's outnumbered by 400,000 troops. And the bottom line is Asa needed help. And so what does he do? He prays. I'm going to put Second Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 11 back up on the screen, and we'll be reminded of his prayer. He says, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Asa needed help, and so Asa prayed, and that's the first great lesson from this message. When you're in need of help, you need to pray. I'm fascinated by that prayer because really it's very short, just a single verse in our Bibles, and yet it is incredibly powerful. If we look a little bit closer at that prayer, and we, were decide, we, we would decide to try to outline it, this is what it would look like. I, I want to share this with you today. You notice you just have a blank insert in your bulletin this morning. You can write down as little or as much as you want. But if you ever find yourself in a situation where you need to share a devotion or a thought or a teaching about prayer, then write this down and hang on to it and something you might be able to use to bless somebody else's life down the road. The first thing I would say about this verse, just verse 11, that's all. If we were to outline it is that he opened with words of praise. The very first part of Second Chronicles <laughs> excuse me, verse, or chapter 14, verse 11 says, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. He says, Lord, there is no one like you. Those are words of praise. And praise is important when we pray because praise positions us to pray because it reminds us of who God is and how much we need Him. Think about that with me. Praise positions us to pray because praise reminds us of who God is and just how much we need Him, just how helpless and hopeless we are on our own without Him. And if you're like me, sometimes when I pray and I try to begin with words of praise, I stop and I think to myself, I'm saying the same thing over and over again. You ever found yourself there? And I feel bad about that. It's not vain repetition, but I feel bad because it's the same thing. And so when that happens, I open up my Bible to the book of Psalms, and there are so many Psalms of praise to God that I find a Psalm, and as a part of my prayer, I read it. Let me give you a suggestion, Psalm 145. Write that down somewhere in your notes. It's a great 
psalm of praise to God. It begins with these words, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. And it just goes on from there. And so the first thing about this prayer is that he opened with words of praise and that positioned him because it reminded him of how much he needed God. The second thing I would say is he shared the need in a clear and succinct way. This is part two of our outline of Asa's prayer. He shared the need in a clear and succinct way. He didn't go into great detail. He simply said, help us, O Lord our God. That was it. Do you think that God didn't know what was going on? Do you think he needed to fill in the details for God? That somehow God didn't know that this army of a million men and these 300 war machines had come against the army of Judah? His people? God knew. And so Asa just simply prayed and said, help us, O Lord our God. Do you think there's ever a moment in your life when God doesn't know what's going on? Do you think you ever have a fear or a concern or an anxious moment that God doesn't know about? Do you think you ever face an enemy in your life, whatever that enemy might look like that God isn't aware of? Everyone say no. No. And sometimes... Like we talked about last week when I shared with you that simple prayer for my grandson at the dinner table, we just need to say, God, help us. I guarantee you God knows the need. The third thing I would say about this simple prayer, if we were to outline it this morning, is this. He gave God the reasons. I love this part. He gave God, Asa gave God the reasons why he expected an answer. He prayed with the expectation of an answer And just to cover his bases, he gave God the reasons why he expected an answer, and there were four of them. If you look closely at the latter part of the prayer, there were four of them. First, Asa told God that he was depending on him alone. He was depending on God alone. He said, help us, O Lord. That was his request. And then he said, for we rely on you. We're here in a battle formation, in a battle position against this vast army up from Egypt of Cushites and there are 300 chariots. We've got all of our soldiers. There's 580,000 of us. We're all armed and we're all ready, but we're not relying on our own strength and our own skill. We're relying on you. That's why we're praying. Second, he told God Judah was standing for him. He says, Judah is standing for God against this enemy. He says, help us, O Lord, for we rely on you. And then he says, and in your name we have come against this vast army. This is not about us. This is not about our reputation, God. This is about you. They're coming against you, and so we're standing against them on behalf of you. The third thing he said is he said, we belong to you, God. We, the nation of Judah, we belong to you. I expect you to answer my prayer because ultimately we belong to you. He said, help us, O Lord, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. And then he said, O Lord, you are our God. We belong to you. You can't turn your back on us. You can't forsake us. We're your children. We're your people. And then fourth, he said to God, this battle belongs to you. He said, help us, O Lord, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. And then he said, do not let man prevail against you. They're not going to be defeating us if they win this battle. They're going to be defeating you. Don't let that happen. And so this was Asa's prayer. He opened with words of praise. He shared the need in a clear and succinct way. And then he gave God the reasons why he expected an answer. And here's what happened, friends. God heard Asa's prayer and God answered Asa's prayer in a powerful way. Before we look at that, though, let me ask you this. Are you familiar with the words of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20? Does that 
ring a bell to you. I'll put them on the screen. These are some of the best words in all the Bible. These are words that Paul writes at the end of a prayer, a written prayer for the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians chapter 3. Read it with me. Let me hear your voices. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What God did in response to Asa's prayer was immeasurably more than all Asa asked or imagined. Listen to 2 Chronicles 14, beginning in verse 12 through the first part of verse 13. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and His forces. Now, everybody look up here for a moment. Let me tell you what I think happened. I think as soon as, soon as Asa finished that prayer... God sprung into motion, and what God did is He sent a holy terror upon those Cushites, and it was such a holy terror that they ran away. They began to run away in fear before the battle even began. We're not told exactly how God did that. This is one of those times when I read a story in my Bible, and I wish I had a little bit more detail. I would love to know the specifics of how God did that. But maybe that's just a question that we're going to have to get answered someday in heaven. I was doing some recreational reading not long ago, and the man that I was reading was telling one of these great Bible stories, and he was saying basically the same thing. I wish I had more detail about how this happened. And then he speculated that he believed that when we get to heaven, there's going to be a gigantic theater in heaven that's called the You Were There Theater. And all of us, especially those of us who love to go to the movies, how many of us love to go to the movies? We can go in and we can see these productions, unlike anything ever produced before, that give us all the details and all the backstory for all of these incredible miracles and these incredible acts of God that happen in the Bible. I mean, it would be really cool. There could be an Old Testament week. There could be a New Testament week. There could be biographical series, you know, in the life of Elijah. He was an incredible prophet who God used in incredible ways. And we could see all of the behind stories and all of the details of how God worked. I think that'd be a good idea. You hear that, God? I think that would be a really good idea. But it was an incredible victory for Asa and the army of Judah. But it wasn't just a military victory. If you keep reading, you pick it up where we left off in verse 13 down through verse 15. It says, the men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. They destroyed all the villages around Gerar, for the terror of the Lord had fallen upon them. They plundered all these villages since there was so much booty there. They also attacked the camps of the herdsmen and carried off droves of sheep and goats and camels. And then they returned to Jerusalem. Let me summarize what happened. The army of Judah, first of all, carried off everything the Cushites left behind. Because remember, they just ran in fear before the battle even began. And then they went to all the camps of all the people that had sheltered and protected the Cushites on their way to Judah, and they fleeced all of those camps. And then also there were these tribes of nomadic herdsmen who were traveling along with the Cushites so they could sell them sheep and goats and the other things that they needed, and they pillaged all of those nomadic tribes as well. And all of this was a result of a prayer that was no longer than one single verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. It's an incredible story. Now, here's what I want to do. I have roughly 13 minutes left. Here's what I want to do. 
I want to use my last few minutes to give you three simple but powerful takeaways from this story. And these are especially powerful. Listen to me. These are especially powerful if you're here today or you're listening online today and you are in need of hope. You feel your hope slipping away somehow. You, you, you need help in some specific area of life and it's become so overwhelming to you that you are losing sight of your hope. You should write these down somewhere on that blank insert. The first one is this. They're simple, but I think that they can make a difference in our lives. Number one, we open the door to the power of God when we cry out for help. We open the door to the power of God when we cry out for help. Now, listen, it's one thing to acknowledge the power of God. We can say that God is a sovereign God, that He's an omnipotent God, that He's the creator and sustainer of all things. We can use all kinds of words to talk about the reality of the power of God. But it's another thing altogether to pray for the power of God to be at work in our lives. And so when we find ourselves in desperate situations and we're in need of help and we're losing hope, we need to be willing to cry out for help because we remember the love, the great love that God has for us. For me, the best way to remember the great love God has for me is to think about Him from the perspective of being my heavenly Father. God is our heavenly Father, and fathers love their children deeply. And so I get that image of God as a father in my mind, and it makes a difference to me, not because it's something I can relate to with my own father, because I didn't have that kind of relationship with my own father, but I can relate to that from the perspective of being a father. I am a father with two children, two adult children that I love deeply and dearly. Let me explain to you what I mean. Let me ask you if you're a parent, and I'm not trying to leave anybody out, but this is just a part of the illustration. If you're a parent this morning, when do you love your children the most? And you say, well, pastor, that's a stupid question because my love for my children is constant. I love them the same all the time. But think about this with me for a moment. Maybe I should phrase it like this. When do you feel your love for your children the most? When are you most deeply moved out of your love for your children? If I think about that from my own perspective of a father of two adult children, I would say that for me, it has always been in those moments when I was most aware of their deepest needs, when I was most aware of their deepest fears, and I was most aware of their deepest concerns. In other words, for me, I feel the love for my children the greatest when they need help, when they're hurting or lost or confused or afraid and they need help. And I can think of many, many times over the years when my children have shared those things with me, many very personal and very intimate moments when my children have opened up their hearts and shared their needs with me. Those are moments that I would never talk about in public or even share with anybody else, but they are precious to me. And I can think of many times when I have just recognized those needs intuitively as a father who loves them deeply. And I believe that becomes a great illustration for all of us for God, because while God's love for us as our heavenly father is constant, while God's love for us as our heavenly father is perfect, absolutely perfect, I believe in my heart that he loves us the most when we need him the most. He loves us the most when we need his help. And I think I can even give you a verse from the Bible that serves as like a proof text to that truth. 
It's Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 where the apostle Paul writes and says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Paul is saying God demonstrates his love for us, the deepest aspect of his love for us when we need him the most. When we were powerless and we were hopeless and we were helpless in our own sin, unable to do anything about it on our own, he sent his son. He showed and expressed his love on the deepest level. And so when you need help, when you're hurting, when you're lost, when you're anxious, when you've got some kind of an enemy, some kind of uh, army, what feels like an army standing in front of you and standing between you and where you want to be in your life and you need help, you need to pray and know that you have a heavenly father who loves you so deeply that he listens and he responds to your cry for help. The second thing that I want you to take away from this story is this. Following Asa's model or example of prayer just might result in an immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine answer. Again, I've always loved these words from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. We'll put them back up on the screen again, I think. I can't remember for sure if I, yeah, nope. Yep, there they are. Thank you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's a part of Paul's prayer again for the Ephesians. I've always loved those words. How could you not love those words? You love those words even if you're hearing them or reading them for the very first time. But here's the question that we all need to ask ourselves this morning. When we pray, do we approach God with immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine prayers? Think of it like this. I'm going to make this statement, okay? I'm going to make a statement and say this is a true statement. Our prayers reveal what we believe about God. And if our prayers believe, or reveal rather, what we believe about God, then do we believe in an immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine God? Is that the kind of God that you pray to? One of the most incredible stories in the Bible happens in Joshua chapter 10. Uh, I don't have time to go into detail, so I'm just going to give a very brief summary of it. You know, Joshua took the mantle of leadership from Moses and finally led the children of Israel into the promised land, and that all culminated when they conquered the city of Jericho with its vast fortified walls, and everything's going well. A little bit later in Joshua chapter 10, a group of people called the Gibeonites are in trouble, and so they sent a message to Joshua and the Israelites. I don't have a time to give you the detailed explanation of who the Gibeonites are. They were basically trade partners with Israel. And they had mutual enemies, and so they send a message to Joshua and Israel for help. And so Joshua rallies his army and marches all night long to help them. And while he's marching his army to Gibeon to help them, God speaks to him. And in Joshua chapter 10 and verse 8, this is what God says to Joshua about the enemy that he's about to face. Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now think about what Joshua knows about God as he's going to help the Gibeonites. He knows God is on his side. He knows God has a history of delivering him and the Israelites. He's seen God actually work before, oftentimes in miraculous ways. And so basically, bottom line, he knows God is someone who could be counted on. And so when he gets his army to Gibeon, He prays this bold prayer because he's going to need a little more time, a little extra daylight to do what needs to be done. 
And so he prays and he asks God to stop the sun over Gibeon. Now, can we all agree that that's a bold prayer? I'm just praying for God to stop the rain over Indiana. <laughs> he prayed for God to stop the sun over Gideon, or Gibeon, rather, and that is what happens. Listen to the words of, I'm going to turn back in my Bible, don't go there. I'm going to turn to the book of Joshua, and I'm going to find uh, the 10th chapter, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 14. Here we go. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord, in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over, Gib over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still. And the moon stopped till the nations avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. That is a prayer to a more than we immeasurable, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine God. Write this down somewhere in your notes. This is a quote from a man named Mark Batterson. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by our biggest dreams. He's not offended by our biggest prayers. He's offended by anything less. Asa was in desperate need of help. And so he turned to God and he said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And God delivered. What do you need God to do for you today? What's standing in the way of you and where you want to be? What's about to defeat you in your life? There's hope for you when you need help. If you're willing to pray and believe in an immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine God. And one more thing real quickly before I move on. I thought to myself as I was writing this down this week that it seems like every time I preach about prayer, I teach about prayer, I always add this disclaimer. And I think it's important because, you know, the Bible, especially in the New Testament, makes some really bold promises about prayer. And we, we can't just read those sometimes and think that they're like a blank check for anything that we want to ask God for. And if they, we don't get what we ask for, then somehow God has failed us. Because the Bible also, remember, we interpret the Bible with the Bible. And the Bible also teaches us that there are certain things that God expects to be in place in our lives when we pray. He wants us to live holy lives. We can't have sin hidden in our lives. We need to pray according to the will of God. We need to pray in the name of Jesus, consistent with what Jesus would want for our lives, and on and on and on. And so I always add these disclaimers. But we can't let the disclaimers claimers keep us from praying the bold prayers. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. We can't. Because at the end of the day, we still have an immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine God who can do anything, who has a history of doing anything. And we need to hang on to that. All right, real quickly, one last thing. If you need help today, God is listening. I mean, this message is called, There's Hope for You When You Need Help. And if you need help today, God is listening. I love the book of Psalms for many reasons, not the least of which is it's filled with what I have come to call survival prayers. You read through the book of Psalms and there are survival prayers because you read the desperate prayers of desperate people in need of help all throughout the book of Psalms. Well, I've chosen some. I'm going to put them up on the screen. I'm going to make you work here at the end. I'm going to ask you to read these with me from the screen. 
And then I'm going to ask you this question. I'll tell you the question in advance. What do all these prayers have in common? And so we'll start with Psalm 38 and verse 22. Read these words with me. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. Psalm 40 and verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 56 and verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help, but this I will know that God is for me. Psalm 70 and verse 1. Hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. Psalm 79 and verse 9. Help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. And finally, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, if I were to ask you what all those verses have in common, what would you say? They all use the word help. And that's just a sampling There's hope for you when you need help. And it comes from an immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine God. So where do you need help in your life today? Where are you in danger of losing hope in your life today? If you pray, God will listen, he will hear you, and he will act according to his will in the best way for you. You've just got to believe that. There are two important directives in the scriptures that we need to remember when it comes to prayer, and this is how we'll close. The first one is Philippians chapter four and verse six, where we're told simply by Paul to pray about everything. And then later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul writes and says, pray without ceasing. Pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. If you need help, turn your attention to God. If you're losing hope in some area of your life, turn your attention to God and pray, and God will hear.